This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, live listeners, and hello, podcast listeners, at whatever time of day you're listening. My name is Emma Williams, and I'm back on the airwaves of Teachers Talk Radio, incredibly happy and excited to be here again. So, if you want to know why I disappeared in the early spring, and why I've returned on Mondays instead of Saturday mornings. Stay this tuned. is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, it's good to be back. And on this first Monday, uh, that's for so many of us, is the real start of the holidays when it properly sinks in that we don't have to get up and go to work. Uh, Now, of course, lots of people have uh, broken up for some time, but I know most schools have just started. But can we spare a thought for those that are still going, including our own Tom Hopkins Burke, who doesn't finish until Wednesday? Our thoughts are with you, Tom. Well, I've been notable by my absence. I had to quit the Saturday morning slot uh, sometime in early to mid-April, I think it was. And I thought I'd fill you in on why that was and where I've been, because I've been leading a bit of a double life, running my own business at the same time as still being in full-time teaching. As many of you know, I have worked as a private tutor on and off for many years. And in recent years, the business seemed to be doing really well. And I've been turning clients away for a considerable amount of time to the point where it's getting a little bit ridiculous. Other tutors were doing very well out of me as I referred people on to others that I knew. So because of that, uh, and various other reasons, I felt that now was the time to take the plunge and end my 21-year career in chalk-faced teaching and move into tutoring full-time. So I thought I'd talk this morning a little bit about why I made that decision because there are various reasons and it wasn't something that I did lightly. All of a sudden, and it really was pretty sudden, I wasn't enjoying my job anymore. Now, I've always said that teaching was really great for me. I'm someone who has suffered from mild depression in the past. And certainly when I entered the profession, although lots of people say, oh, you sure you want to be a teacher? It's terribly stressful. You sure you can handle it? The complete opposite was true. Teaching was an incredible job for me. It got me out there. It forced me to be sociable and it forced me to pin a smile on my face. And strange as it may seem, it's amazing how quickly that smile became reality. So I found that the performance that you have to put on when you're a teacher, the performance for the students and to some extent for your colleagues, actually became a reality because I genuinely loved the job. But just this this year, really, this academic year, I realised that it was remaining a performance and that actually, unlike in the past, I didn't finish the day feeling more cheerful than when I started, which was certainly true previously. 
lots of reasons, really. Obviously, COVID has had its effect and it's hard for me to know whether I would have made this decision at this time if it hadn't been for the effect that the pandemic had. And I think certainly for me, the return to school that first year back with all the uncertainty, the fact that we were in bubbles, which those of you who work in secondary school will know, just made the job close to impossible. And I teach a subject that to a degree, it doesn't matter what kind of room you're in. How specialists who teach things like science, technology, music, how they managed, I, I, I can't even imagine. It was truly horrendous. So I think that certainly took its toll and maybe I expected everything to feel just as good as it had always been when I came back this year, but it didn't. And I decided that for whatever reason, this job wasn't for me anymore. I was experiencing a lot of frustration at what I felt the school was getting wrong, particularly on behaviour. And these things no longer felt like something I could put up with. I know that seems like a strange reason to leave the whole profession, but for me, with my subject specialism, I can't just leave and find my ideal school. My subject is taught in less than 3% of state schools, and I want to stay in the state sector. That's where I've always been. But even if I broke with that and went private, there haven't been the kind of jobs that I want coming up in my area. And you've got to factor in as well the fact that I don't drive. So that really does limit my options. I won't get into why because we'd be here all day. That's a whole other topic in itself. So the reality is that I have an incredibly limited choice, especially as my husband and I don't want to move. So it really did come down to you've either got to stick it out where you are or you have to leave. I very suddenly lost patience with teenage back chat. I just find it very, very tiresome uh, in a way that has never been the case before. And I didn't want to become one of those teachers banging on about the youth of today and shouting at the kids. That, that, that isn't the kind of teacher I want to be. So I drew the conclusion back in early to mid-February that I needed to go and that I just needed to keep up the performance for another six months. I managed that, I hope. I hope my dislike for the job didn't start to show. As I've hit my late 40s as well, certain aspects of the job, while not intolerable now, are very clearly going to be so in a few years' time. The late evenings that you get in that first really tough half of the year, the parents' evenings, the open evening, the, the general physicality of the job. And like many schools, our school had moved towards incredibly short breaks in the day, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. And I just find that I cannot cope with a full teaching day with such a short period of time to sit down, have something to eat. It, it, you can get away with these sorts of things when you're in your 20s, in your 30s, maybe. But I'm finding increasingly that that was becoming really hard. And it started to make me think, what's this going to feel like when I'm 50, when I'm 55, when I'm 60? I decided it just wasn't an option. One of the final things that 
really make me feel, I just don't want to do this anymore, was that endless grind of being locked into the school holidays. Everybody talks about the long school holidays and how incredible they are. And don't get me wrong, they are. I am not complaining about the amount of time we get off, just to be super clear. But the problem with teaching is that you have to take that time exactly when you're told to, and there's absolutely zero flexibility. Now, for a couple without children, that has been incredibly frustrating. We've been tied to those holidays, even though we don't have our own children. So we've had to pay through the nose uh, every time we want to go away. Now, first world problems. I know, I, I get it, but it is pretty galling. So we had actually booked to go away at Christmas time, which is always a really hard decision. Um, my husband really wanted to do it again. We've done it once or twice before. He was super keen. Obviously, it's not been an option for a while. I always find it really difficult because then you're saying to your family, not going to spend Christmas with you. But the kind of package holiday that we like to do to get some winter sun, we've got no choice. There is no other time slot when we can go because the dates are fixed. You can't say, oh, actually, we'll do it. go a couple of days later. It, it, it doesn't work like that. So you have to take what dates are available. And the only dates that are available in the school holiday hit Christmas. So one of the first things that we did when I made the decision during February half term that I was going to resign was we logged onto the Chewy website and we looked into switching the holiday to January. Now, this is very exciting because I hate January. I hate it with a passion. And the thought of being out of this country for even a short amount of time during January fills me with absolute joy. So we did. We moved the week from Christmas week to around the first week of January, just after New Year. We had to pay a fee, obviously, because we were moving a holiday we'd already booked. We upgraded our seats on the flight to seats with more room, and we still save 500 pounds. And that puts it into context, the degree to which teachers and families, which is even worse, are ripped off by this system, depresses me beyond belief. So I am absolutely thrilled to not be tied to those fixed school holidays anymore. But the main reason, as I've already mentioned, for me really feeling ready to go is behaviour. And it's something that I've talked about and done a lot of reading about online. And I really can't decide to what degree I feel behaviour has got worse in schools or whether it's me who has changed. Now, certainly the latter is true. I have definitely changed and my level of tolerance for things has decreased. And I fully acknowledge that. But I do feel that there has been an increase in mistrust between parents and schools. I think the number of families that now question the school that their child attends and are basically unwilling to back the school, to trust the school. I think that is on the increase. Parents making excuses for their 
for their children's behaviour, parents defending their children's behaviour. And I think that is a really, really worrying trend. And it's my view that schools need to remain really tough in the face of that. But it's hard. You need parents to be on side as much as you can get them on side. I, I do understand that. And I think it's incredibly hard for schools to tread that path. But I do feel it's something that they they have to face up to, that there are a lot of parents who are not necessarily naturally on our side. And they might sign the code of conduct uh, when their child joins the school, but I'm not sure they really embrace the reality of what that means. And so for me, it's not so much, it's not that dreadful, you know, beyond belief, extraordinary behaviour events, which may occur in any school at any time and are always, of course, dealt with firmly and systematically. It's the low level drip, drip, drip that actually grinds you down. And I think perhaps that's what a lot of people don't realise about teaching. It's not that children are hurling chairs at you or telling you to do the proverbial on a regular basis. Of course, they're not in most schools, certainly, certainly not in ours as a general rule. Uh, And if they do, obviously, they're they're in trouble. But it's the low level disrespect, and the manner in which young people talk to adults, that I think is a problem. And it's our job to deal with it and manage that very firmly, because it's not actually their fault. Uh, if they're not given the right boundaries and if they're not told how to behave and how to speak to people in authority or people to whom they should at least show some level of courtesy, which is, frankly, everyone, uh, if they're not taught that, then how are they supposed to know? Some students, some children, of course, do it naturally because they've been taught those boundaries at home. So, well, no, let's correct that. They don't do it naturally. They've been taught it right from the beginning and therefore they do it by the time they arrive in school. Others who may not have been taught those boundaries so clearly or so emphatically uh, need a little bit more help along that journey. When I did my training back in the mists of time, we're talking uh, 1999, I think it was, we were actually taught what was called uh, tactical ignoring. And so the general message was teenagers are going to do things like roll their eyes, sigh, maybe answer back under their breath. And we were specifically taught to ignore, uh, not take it personally, which I suppose is good advice generally, because if you took every insult personally, I wouldn't have lasted uh, 21 minutes, never mind 21 years in teaching. Okay, fine, don't take it personally. But to ignore it is actually permitting it. I was taught a phrase a few years ago, what you permit, you promote, because the behavioural message is that's allowed. Therefore, that's okay. Therefore, carry on. And I fear there's quite a lot of that going on in schools and that it's perhaps quite tough for people to realise how much that affects teachers' self-esteem. Because no matter how much you tell yourself that it's not personal, which of course it isn't, definitely isn't personal, it grinds you down. Imagine the, the, the 
interactions that you have with humans really do impact on how you feel about yourself and the world. And if you're in a job where your interaction with a large number of humans every single day is drip, drip, drip negativity, it's kind of quite hard to stay perky. That's certainly how I started to feel in the last year of my job. As I say, it was a change. It was not something that I felt previously. And I'm still pondering to what degree I've changed or the job has changed. Maybe you have an instinct for which one it is. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. Talk It Out with Teachers Talk Radio. Thus far, I have talked only about what a geographer would call the push factors. So the things that drove me out of teaching. But what are the pull factors? What drew me to the one-to-one tutoring, which I'm going to be doing now? Well, it's always been something that I've enjoyed and that I've been good at. And as I've already mentioned, the, the clients seem to be there. So that's what made it a potentially viable career. But much more crucially than that, obviously, it's something I've always thought about doing in the longer term. So when, for example, I thought, teaching was just going to be too much physically. I thought, well, I'll be able to do that in my 60s, for example. But it's not something I want to do full time. I just want to do it as, as just bringing in the, the, a little bit of money. I don't want to take it that seriously. 
Now, the reason I used to feel that was because obviously by the nature of the sorts of students that I will be teaching, most of them will be in school. So we are talking evenings and weekend work. And when I thought through the process, I thought, well, why on earth would I give up my day job going into school and swap that for filling up some of my evening and some of my weekend, which is when my friends uh, are, are off work. Because unless my friends were teachers, and lots of my friends are, but not all of them, and those of them that have what I would call a normal job, were all commuting to London. They were all doing the, the stereotypical, you know, on the 740 to Waterloo, uh, and they'd be out all day and back in the evening. Now, of course, the pandemic has changed all that. Every single one of those friends now, without exception, work from home, either all the time, most of the time, or some of the time. Absolute majority, it is most or all of the time that they now work from home. Now, in addition to that, of course, the pandemic also started to promote the idea of online learning and there was a very high demand for online tutoring at the time. And it really opened up people's eyes to the notion of online tutoring. That's really important for me because my subject's pretty niche. And if you teach Latin, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to find enough local work to earn yourself a decent salary rather than just pocket money. So it's really important that the opportunity of online work was opened up. So when I, I first started tutoring online, probably about five or six years ago, uh, I was a little bit dubious about it, but I thought, oh, I get the feeling this might take off. Um, so I'll give it a go, see, see what happens. So I'd already got into it. I had a couple of online clients when the pandemic hit. So I was already pretty au fait with it. And I started to get to realise the advantages of it and had started to encourage parents who were even reasonably local to actually give it a go. Because uh, if, if any of you know the area I live in, which is around Woking, Guildford, that sort of area, it's pretty horrendous when it comes to traffic. So however near to you somebody is, they're going to be spending a huge amount of time potentially wasting their time sitting in traffic just to deliver their child to you and then collect their child afterwards. And it's such a waste of their time. So I was already trying to persuade parents to go down that route, but a lot of them were very dubious. A lot of them would go, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure that would work. Pandemic has changed all of that. So it's pretty rare now. In fact, I, I can't think of the last time I've had someone say, oh, I'd much prefer face-to-face. -face. People contact me specifically seeking an online tutor. In addition to that, there has been, again, kickstarted by the pandemic, an even bigger increase than in a normal couple of years in homeschooled students. And I think that is only going to continue for all sorts of reasons that I think perhaps deserve their own show, which I might do at some point. So I do actually already have a couple of students that I will see during the day. So it's not all evenings and weekends. So all of those reasons started to make me think, you know what, 
I think this is viable. So if I've got friends who work at home, I've got local people who would be up for going for a walk at lunchtime or having a coffee just to break up the day so I don't feel I'm stuck at home completely by myself all the time while everyone else goes to work. It's not going to be like that. I've got a lot of people who are around. Plus, and this is where I come full circle and link my push factors to my pull factors, it was the moment when I realised that even if I'm a bit more on my own at home, during the day and yes even if I'm going to be working evenings and weekends and I'm going to have to juggle that I decided is that a good swap for my day job yeah <laughs> whereas previously I hadn't felt that it was now when I gave myself the same equation I changed my mind and that's what really made me realize okay I'm definitely not enjoying this job anymore and it's time for a change Now I am a full-time private tutor, but 21 years at the chalk face, I hope, is never going to leave me. And I, I really do hope that because it's incredibly important to me that I remember where I've come from. I would not be the tutor that I am without that experience. And in the second half of my show, I want to explore how tutors can support teachers I do feel there is still quite a divide between the teaching profession and people who tutor privately. And I want to explore some of the reasons behind that in the second half of my show. And unfortunately, there are some, frankly, diabolical tutors out there, some of them unqualified, although that doesn't necessarily mean that someone's a diabolical tutor because they're not qualified. But I have to confess, I do still struggle uh, with people entering tutoring with absolutely no teaching experience whatsoever. I, I, it, that does concern me for all sorts of reasons. But there are some really worrying examples of poor tutoring. And in the second half of my show, that's what I'm going to explore. And we'll take a look at how tutors can support classroom teachers rather than undermine them. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. England, charities and unions have warned that poorer families face grim choices and patchy support over summer, as they spend weeks without free school meals amid the worsening cost of living crisis. The government has resisted calls to continue free school meals over the six-week break, which is a source of worry for low-income families as energy bills and food prices continue to rise. Sarah Ogilvie from the Child Poverty Action Group said, The school holidays will be particularly difficult for low-income families this year, with spiralling costs piled onto the worry about lack of free school meals. Unlike in Scotland and Wales, where robust support is in place to replace preschool meals, parents in England have to contend with haphazard and ill-thought-out schemes and are left scrambling to provide for their children. Jeff Barton, from the Association of School and College Leaders, said his union was extremely concerned about the appalling extent of child poverty.
In Reading, a campaign is underway to try and tackle pollution and poor air quality outside schools. The University of Reading has supplied the equipment to help schools tackle pollution and improve the health of pupils, staff and parents. The research is being led by Dr Hang Yang from the Geography and Environmental Science Department. He said, The school gates are one of the worst affected areas. The combination of rush hour congestion, proximity to roads and little space to move around makes for a very high level of pollution. By better monitoring the pollution throughout the day, and particularly at busy times, we can help schools to introduce processes which will decrease exposure or potentially even improve air quality in those specific areas. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Talk It Out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, I'm back and I'm going to be talking about how tutors can support teachers and exploring some of the views that classroom teachers have of tutors due to poor experiences with them. And I have to say, I can't blame them. I have a local tutor who works uh, in a, a school fairly near me and she is absolutely fantastic. And I frankly will refer any uh, parent that I think might be able to afford it uh, to her uh, if they are interested because she's taken students who are really struggling to the top of the class she's absolutely phenomenal so I feel incredibly lucky to have this great local tutor that I've been able to refer my classroom students to and likewise obviously she's quite gutted that I've left my job because it's been a fairly reliable revenue stream for her so she's an example of an outstanding local tutor, and she is also a teacher in another local school. Hmm. There we go. She's got a lot of experience. I believe she's been a head of department previously. She really knows what she's doing. By contrast, another experience I had several years ago now, there was one student who didn't continue with Latin in my school beyond year nine. So she didn't select it for GCSE. And I didn't hear anything from her or her parents from that point onwards why would I it was January of her year 11 year that she approached me and asked whether she could sit the school mock exam I sort of stared at her and she explained that she'd actually had continued with Latin as an extra subject with a private tutor and I said oh great okay fantastic not a problem uh, I'm quite happy for you to sit the exam I'll, I'll check with uh, SLT but I can't imagine they'll have an objection and then I said the only issue might be if you study different literature texts from the ones that I do so wh which ones have you studied long blank pause literature text she didn't know what I was talking about and I said yeah, so, well, depending on which options your tutor's gone for, the literature will either form 25 or, in, in most people choose it, as 50% of the exam. No, literature had not been done. As I explored a little bit further in our conversation, it also became clear that she hadn't been issued 
with the set vocabulary list for the exam. So we are at the point where mock exams were happening and she basically had not been taught the syllabus. Maybe I should have just left it at that, but I, uh, I contacted her mother and explained the problem. What was puzzling to me, at least, is that the, the mother defended the tutor hotly. Not that I launched in and uh, criticised the tutor, but I explained the facts. She immediately got very defensive, said that the tutor had been fantastic, that this child had progressed really well. Hmm. Um, and yeah seemed perfectly happy. I explained to her that there was absolutely no way this child would be prepared for the final examination. Um, she certainly wasn't prepared for the mock and that unless the tutor was planning to cover 50% of the syllabus in the next four months, there's no way her child was going to sit the exam. And then I didn't hear anything more other than, get this, the tutor via the parent asked me to send them a link to the specification. <laughs> Uh, which I refused to do because I said to the parent, look, why this tutor hasn't already looked it up, I can't even comment on. And there is absolutely no way that I'm going to be entering into a dialogue with somebody this unprofessional who's been taking someone's money for 18 months and hasn't even looked up the specification. And that is, it's a worst case scenario, but it it, it shocked me to the core. So if teachers are coming across this kind of thing, no wonder they have a mistrust of tutors. A couple of months ago on Twitter, a classroom teacher shared a tweet that said, maths teachers, have you ever experienced negative effects of private tutoring where different calculation methods or strategies have resulted in a child getting really confused and regressing? And the responses were absolutely overwhelming and really sobering reading for those of us who work in the tuition sector. People were immediately responding that they had seen it in both maths and in English. And then it got worse. So not even just stories that revealed an individual tutor making a child's levels of understanding worse and confusing them. Beyond that, even, a running theme was private tutors basically undermining the classroom teacher by using the materials that the teacher would expect to use. And to me, that is a massive no-no. One of the early responses to this tweet uh, is this one from someone called Carla. A year 11 boy refused to do the classwork because his tutor had already covered it and he didn't need to do it. His parents didn't see the problem. And you think, well, here is where my, you know, my bugbear with behaviour kicks in as well as uh, my anxiety about how some tutors operate. Do not, with a capital D and a capital N, use resources that you know the classroom teacher will be using. Your job is to enrich that student's level of understanding. You should be using your own material. Otherwise, what on earth are you charging for if you're just rolling out the same resources as a classroom teacher? And you are undermining that teacher every time you do that. So that classroom teacher, what are they supposed to do? 
at that point when the kid goes, oh, I just did this with my tutor. What on earth are they supposed to do in front of the class? How are they supposed to solve that problem? You have just wrecked their lesson and it's absolutely unforgivable. And linked to that, you've got to be super aware of the fact that schools will use past papers, usually the most recent one, but you can't guarantee that it will be the most recent one for their mock exams. So if you have shown your tutee one of those papers, well, congratulations, you've just completely undermined the entire assessment process for that school. And when you think about how important that's been in the last couple of years, not the exams just gone, but the two previously where we didn't have external exams, then you're in seriously dangerous territory by interfering in a school's assessment process. You are not a centre for assessment. The school is. So you've got to be really careful. So, for example, in my subject, a lot of my students are GCSE and there are quite a limited number of past GCSE papers because the whole spec for every single subject changed um, well for some subjects in 2016-17 for my subject it was in 2018 so it's not been going very long we have one specimen paper and then one for those number of years really not very many at all therefore tutors you should not be showing your students any of those papers and actually i don't also don't use there's a, a standard textbook that a huge number of schools will use because it's ratified by acr co-written by the chief examiner and that contains five practice papers written by the chief examiner i don't use those either because i know that every single classroom teacher is going to be using those. So what do I use? Well, what do you know? I've got off my backside and written my own, which I did throughout my teaching career. So I've got about 12 papers, which I have created from legacy spec. So taken the old papers from before 2018, rejigged them, adjusted them, changed them to make them like the new spec. Those are what I use. So, and I mean, hey, my resources are spread all over the country, so I can't guarantee that that won't crop up in somebody's school in Aberdeen. Of course I can't. But given that I wrote them, I think that's fair enough. So I do not touch past papers and I do not touch those that have been written by the chief examiner if my child is being taught in a school because I know their classroom teacher is going to use those resources. Now, if I'm working with a homeschool student, all of that goes out the window. Of course, it's my responsibility to prepare them for the exam. And therefore, I use all of the resources at my fingertips. But if the child you're tutoring is in a school, they work from a textbook, they're working from the Cambridge Latin course, don't do the next story in the book with them and then expect them to be engaged in the class for their teacher. They're going to go, oh, I did this. Oh, it's just basic. Absolutely infuriating and then in response to this tweet some other things that just completely shocked me is what some tutors have said to their tutees this person who just calls themselves maths teacher 68 
<laughs> says one of my sixth form retakers had a tutor who told her in September she wouldn't get a four in the November exam. Not helpful. I mean, yet yeah, not helpful. And what kind of tutor has that view of their tutee? They don't think they can improve between September and November. Hmm, okay, again, not sure why you're taking the money. And then somebody replied saying, to be honest, we normally get it the other way round. For example, my tutor says I should be doing higher. Oh, again, don't say that. Of course, potentially have a conversation with parents about why the school thinks they should be sitting a foundation level. Of course, maybe explore that if you think the child can do better. But don't undermine the school who will have very specific reasons for making that decision. Not least, their league tables are based on the grade that that child gets. And if the school doesn't think that they're going to pass doing higher, then of course they plummet to an ungraded. Whereas if they do the foundation, there are other grades that they can get. That's the whole point of doing a foundation paper. It, it widens the net in terms of you getting some kind of achieving grade even if it isn't a grade four. So lots of teachers were talking about students who perhaps haven't been mistaught things, but have been taught methods that clash with those that they've been taught in school and are confusing them. Now, <laughs> this is not a tutor doing a good job, in my opinion. One teacher said, a few years ago, I taught a GCSE student who used to shout out her tutor's methods to the rest of the class. She was taught tricks like times for the end, add for the middle to expand quadratics, which doesn't work in all cases and didn't have the patience to listen to me explain it properly. It was really disruptive and frustrating. I used to unpack her tutor's methods with the class and show them why I didn't teach them that way. Well, amazing response by that classroom teacher. I think that's all she could have done, really. But again, incredibly disruptive and Teachers have got a curriculum they need to get through. And it sounds like that tutor was basically making it rather difficult for her to do so. Lots and lots of people have certainly talked about this problem in maths. Now, I left, I left maths behind a very long time ago. Um, so certainly something I don't know a great deal about. But what I do know is that it's uh, the debates about methodologies, you know, how to teach uh, children the basics. The debates rage in the maths teaching community about the best approach. And I do think, again, as a tutor, you've got to be so careful that what you are doing is obviously potentially trying a different method with a child that they might find easier but you've got to make sure that you're not just contributing to their confusion, not just for them, but by the sounds of it, for the whole class. Because if they then start sharing something that they've only half understood with the class, that is going to cause huge, huge problems for the classroom teacher. Now, if you think I'm making it up about uh, resources and past papers, one of the replies says a tutor from a local private school asked his tutees to obtain copies of my end of unit tests so that he could give future tutees the answers. 
He taught the change sign when we cross the magic bridge approach to algebra. I've no idea what that is, but it's obviously a thing. His tutees did worse than peers with no tutoring. Yikes. Worth saying, the demand for maths tutors is so incredibly high that I do wonder whether there is a risk of a high percentage of them being frankly a bit ropey because like anything where there's huge 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 demand good tutors are going to have enormous waiting lists i i think there's a lot of potential scope in in maths um for there being some pretty dodgy tutoring work out there so this thread was incredibly enlightening and and in fact incredibly worrying for those of us that are moving out of teaching and into private tutoring and it it's really started to get me thinking about why i'm so concerned about some tutors not having teaching experience and there are all sorts of reasons i think if i'm totally honest firstly there's just that little bit of me that thinks you should have hacked it for a while <laughs> just, um that's probably a bit silly but i'm going to be honest the, I think the, the ones that irritate me the most are the ones who advertise themselves as a qualified teacher and bang on about that to the nth degree. And then when you actually look closely at their bio, they did the training year and then they scampered off into tutoring. And you think, no, 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 sorry. I don't, I don't really buy the I'm a teacher, teachings in my blood thing if you didn't even manage to do a year in the profession. Nah, that's not on. <laughs> so uh, there's a bit of me that just thinks, yeah, should have stuck it out like the rest of us for at least a while. So that's just uh, an emotional response, which is not particularly rational, but there we go. But uh, the rational reasons, the thing about teaching is you stick it out for a certain amount of time and it is incredible what you learn from that process of driving cohort after cohort through the same examination or an examination that's recently changed but it's frankly quite similar to the one before there is no replacement for that experience and when i look back to what i was doing in the first few years of my teaching i do think what was i doing and you've really got to stick it out for a certain amount of time to really get a handle on how you prepare students for an examination. The quality of CPD in teaching is something I've talked about in the past. Um, has been variable, I think it's fair to say. Uh, lots of the overall generic CPD in the past has been frankly dire. I think I have talked in the past about the juggling and the drumming it's probably best that we don't go there and don't get me started on learning styles but there we go there has been some terrible stuff however forget all of that every teacher in a state school you've got no idea what private schools get up to but i'm sure it's similar if not better every teacher in a state school is entitled to go on one training course external training course of their choice every single year now for me that means picking a course that's run either by the examination body, so ACR, and in fact, some of those are free, um, 
but the really good ones you have to pay for, Kelsapri's. Or there's a, a training provider called Keynote. And for my subject, they, they just happen to be really, really good. Uh, they always have the chief examiner or a very experienced examiner presenting part of the day. And it's a really powerful way to demystify the spec. Forget, oh, that's what they mean by wide ranging. All of that kind of thing. Hugely important. Another big thing, loads of teachers do marking. So they get the training, they mark the exams. Now, again, I know a handful of private tutors that do that, but only a handful. So many that don't, have never done it. Why not? You get paid to train, you get paid to mark. Okay, the pay's rubbish, but the experience that you get is absolutely huge. And it comes at a time where, generally speaking, your tutoring hours will be a little bit lower. You start to lose some students who've just sat the exam. There's there's usually a bit of a fallow time uh, because clients don't want teaching anymore once they've, they've had their examination. So it's usually important if you're a tutor and you've never done it to have a go at marking. And so many of them don't. So taking cohorts through year after year, incredibly powerful the free training i'm going to have to fund this myself now i'm a private tutor you know if i'm going to keep up that same level of professionalism i'm going to have to fork out for these training courses that's just the reality whereas a teacher you get those laid on and any teacher who cared about what they do will have fully taken up their quota that's allowed to them uh, of training and and gone for something run by the exam board and really informed themselves about the examination. So all of those things, hugely important. Also sticking it out in teaching for a certain amount of time, you, you build up such a huge bank of resources that are original to you, which you can then use as a tutor it's it's rare that i have to create new resources now it is happening because there are quite a few course books for my subject that have come out in recent years that i've never used so if i'm working with a student that is using them i have to rejig what i've already got or in some cases kind of start from scratch because i want it to reflect the book that they're using so i am for one or two clients having to create some some new stuff for them once I've done it. However, of course, I can use that with any other child whose school uses that textbook. But it's that that 21 years of the <laughs> just the amount of time it took me to transfer my school files onto my hard drive on my penultimate day at work. It, it took an insane amount of time. I do have an enormous bank of resources that I, of course, would not have if I hadn't done that 21 years at the chalk face. So I do have serious concerns about anyone working as a private tutor that hasn't got a pretty good wealth of experience in schools. But coming back to the original point I was making at the start of the second half, it's so important not to make a teacher's job more difficult Believe you me, their job is hard enough as it is. I know it's very easy to criticise from the outside. 
it's incredibly easy. As a tutor, you do sometimes wonder what a teacher's been doing. I, I, from the other point of view, I, I agree. I admit that that is the case. You do sometimes think, what is happening in that classroom? But it's hard. It's incredibly hard. And of course, you've only got that child's perspective on it. And you don't know the reality. I mean, how many times have all of us, whether tutor or teacher, have a child go, oh, I've never seen that before, or I've never been taught it. <laughs> and you know that they have. And certainly as a tutor, I, I never buy that one. I don't believe that they haven't covered it. It probably just happened such a long time ago that they have forgotten. And of course, the great thing about tutoring is that you have the time to revisit things and explore, repeat, retrieve all of those things that a child may well have forgotten. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week it's finally the summer break for almost everyone. This is the time when teachers realise that six weeks is a long time and although it's great to be off and doing things, it can cost a lot of money, especially if you've got kids. So, what can tech do for us to help? This episode is about letting tech come to your rescue to find cheap or free days out near you or further afield if you want to travel. This might be my least complicated two-minute tech to date. All you need is access to the internet and a search engine. If you want to make it more techy, ask Siri, Alexa or your favourite AI personal assistant. I chose the type search option. Typing cheap days out UK, feel free to replace UK with another destination, into a search engine took me to a list compiled by TripAdvisor of the 10 best cheap things to do in the UK. Ideas here range from visiting Tower Bridge to Chester Cathedral, all with ratings and advice from previous visitors. Adjusting my search a little, free days out UK found me another list from Skyscanner ranging from the Natural History Museum to the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh. Then my favourite search of the day, Free days out near me. This gave me a list of nearby places. If you allowed access to your location, then there is no need to even type the destination. If you prefer not to give that data away, then simply type the destination you're considering visiting. I was impressed by the selection of places I could go, some of which reminded me there's a lot to do in your locality and you don't always have to make a long journey. So this week, I'm going to be asking, what is a good day out near you on Twitter? Let's see if social media can give us some ideas to enjoy our summer without breaking the bank. Why not get in touch with your top tips at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what is a good, free or cheap day out near you. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, in my next show, I'm going to be sharing an interview with Samantha McMahon, who's actually gone through a similar journey to me. She's got a lot more irons and a lot more fires. I think she's a, a far more serious businesswoman than I purport to be. Uh, but I had a lovely conversation with her back in March, April, uh, because that was just before uh, I had to pause my Saturday show because demand was so high for tutoring on the Saturday morning. So I saved her interview and explained to her that I'd be sharing it on a Monday show once the school year had ended and I was able to broadcast on a Monday. So I'm just going to give you a little flavour of the conversation that I had with Samantha. I decided to focus 
with her on why it was that she chose to leave chalk face teaching and become a private tutor. I definitely reached a point where I had to leave for various reasons. You know, when you leave the profession, you get the headspace to truly reflect. Now I, I can really see all the different red flags that I didn't perhaps recognize at the time. So I'm really looking forward to sharing the conversation that I had with Samantha, who is absolutely delightful. She's really charming to speak to. And she's one of those people that's got one of those voices that just immediately makes you feel calm and reassured. And I'm quite certain that uh, the students that she works with and the tutors that she coaches uh, really benefit from her advice as a result. So it's been an absolute joy to be back on the airwaves again. So next fortnight, you will hear from me and Samantha, and then I already have a further plan, an interview with Paul Penn for the fortnight after that. So I am well ahead this summer, which is absolutely awesome. So I hope you are enjoying the start of your school holiday, and I will see you again in two weeks' time. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.